Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Welcome. My name is Brian. Hey, and uh, you might not know it, especially maybe if you are uh, newer to this whole church thing or not, but this is this Sunday called Pentecost. And um, that might be a word that is new to you or whatever, but let me just frame it for you. Uh, Pentecost is one of the church holidays that we can peg on the calendar. Like Jesus's birthday, uh, secret, you know, we don't actually think he was born in December. Sorry. Uh, you know, but, but Pentecost, we know that 2,000 years ago, or just over 2,000 years ago, there were a number of disciples, about 120 people, meeting in a room with the anxiety that what happened to Jesus might happen to them, but living with this promise that Jesus said, wait for the Spirit to come. So they're, they're waiting for the Spirit of God to come, not knowing what their future holds, and they're in the middle of their humility and dependence, the Spirit of God shows up. And here's the cool thing about when the Spirit of God shows up. There's all these people around uh, Jerusalem that are coming in to celebrate a Jewish festival uh, called Pentecost, and um, and they're like they speak different languages and they have they come from their different ethnicities. But when the Spirit of God shows up, all these hundred and twenty disciples they just start talking so loud in all these different languages. All the people coming from outside to Jerusalem can understand the wonders of God in their own language. It's almost as if God wants the table to keep getting bigger and growing and growing so that more people find out what he has done. And then after that, Peter gets up and they think like maybe some, maybe some people are amazed at what's happened. Other people think that maybe the disciples are drunk because they're speaking all these different languages. And Peter stands up and say, chill out. Mimosas have not even been invented. It's nine in the morning. Uh, no, he doesn't say that actually, but he does say it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk. We're actually filled with the spirit of God. And then he goes on to quote a prophet from the Old Testament. He goes, check this out. This was God's plan from the beginning. He says the whole point, the whole plot line was moving towards this day when old people and young people, men and women, servants and kings would all be in on this Jesus thing together. The table keeps getting bigger. There's always a space for you at the table. That is the message of Pentecost that the spirit brings in power. And check this out. That same spirit is available to us today. It's available to us today. So God, would you make it so that we might be like that church, hungry and dependent for you and seeing you show up in significant and powerful ways. We are in this teaching series called Future People that Susan shared with a little bit about, but check this out. We, if you're a Jesus follower, if you believe that scripture is authoritative for understanding reality and understanding God, then you believe that the final verdict um, uh, is actually already established, that Jesus has won. You may look out and see chaos. You might look out and see disorder. You might see, look out and see all sorts of crazy in all sorts of ways in all over the world. But if you're a Jesus follower, you believe by faith that the verdict has already been won and that Jesus already reigns. And that's what Revelation reveals. It opens the curtain on that reality and lets us into the already established verdict of Jesus's victory right now in the, right in the very present where there is chaos and weirdness and crazy all around. And so as future people, we are people that live in light of that victory in the future right in the middle of the present. 
So when you're interacting with somebody that feels like they're low on hope, we're people with deep hope because Jesus has already won, right? And we walk with that hope and sometimes we feel diminished and small or like that hope is lacking, but we're around other people that offer that hope to us and remind us of that hope. And that's what it means to be a person that is a future person, a future people, right? And that's what we're wanting to establish and talk about here at Anchor as we go through uh, Revelation in six weeks. That's right. You did it. Put your seatbelt on. We are doing it. And so today we are in this section of Revelation where Jesus has these like words to share for the church. We are calling this Jesus feedback for the church. You could say the annual review uh, where Jesus is the one giving the review. Have you, how many raise your hand if you've ever had an annual review? Anybody had an annual review? You know that time where your supervisor invites you in and say, hey, come on in. And, and he gives or she gives two compliments and then says, hey, but we want to talk about this. Who likes those times? Anybody sick and demented and actually like that experience? All right, we have somebody that's emotionally healthy, actually. And like, <laughs> like I want to hunger and I want to grow. That Congratulations. Um, most of us probably are on some type of goal where we're trying to get there. So tell us later how we can. Uh, where we're trying to get there, but still it brings up some nerves and some anxiety if we are, to be honest, when we step into that room for that review, for the feedback, right? So there's different types of people um, with varying levels of emotional health that have different types of reactions. I'm gonna read a couple different ones. And if you feel yourself named in this, that's the spirit of God, it's not me, okay? So here's the first type. The sit and take it while silently plotting the other's demise type. Anybody? All right. Um, Hear about this one. Um, Rapid breathing, rampant sweating, shaking knees type. Anybody? This one is me, still on a journey there. Um, Next one, low-grade argumentative while calling it verbal processing type. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, mercy. Uh, How about this one? The last one, the reverse the feedback through asking, interrogating questions in response type. Oh, man. Here's the thing. I hope everyone in this room wants to be healthy, right? Not just physically healthy. Um, kudos to you if that is like, you know, if you work out five days a week, et cetera. But like emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. We want to be hopefully people of health. And I don't think anybody would say, nope, trying to be unhealthy, that's my goal. I don't think anybody would necessarily say that. If you do, if, you, if that's your goal, tell me afterwards. It would be an interesting novelty to have met you. Um, but I think we all want to be healthy. I mean, like, like everybody from... Uh, like just writers on, on just blogs, on Instagram, whatever. This is like the common trend. How can we get healthy? Best leaders are trying to figure out how they can open up in transparency to those they're leading so that they can get insight and areas of weakness so that they can what? Become healthy. And here's the thing. There is no one that wants to, that should be more healthy or desire it than a Jesus follower. Because as Jesus followers, we recognize probably more than anyone else that we like are broken and we have a God who is able. And so like, God, help me as I grow into your image. And this is the picture of like the Jesus followers hunger for health. But here's the thing, like health doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen just like all of a sudden, wow, I woke up and I am totally healed and healthy, everything's great. It involves work and it involves this painful thing that we've already called feedback. One author says, trying to grow spiritually without hearing the truth about yourself from somebody else is like trying to do brain surgery on yourself without a mirror. Now, don't even try to get a visual on that. I think you get the point though, right? 
We need other people's words in our life if we are to get healthy. Now, it's a weird situation with feedback, though, because, like, feedback, on one hand, right now, is all around us. Like, the critics are loving their position as being critical, right? Facebook and social media has bred this kind of weird type where everybody is critical and everybody also wants to get healthy. It's like, just make up your mind, world. But we need, like, the critics that offer um, their critique and in kindness. Jesus does that with seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. And while we're not looking at all seven today, we're gonna be looking at three that are representative for the seven. That kind of like their three stand out as being emblematic and, and representing the issues for all of the seven. And we're going to be looking at it here in a second, but I want us to know that there's this format that Jesus gives to the seven churches. There's this like kind of like very predictable template he gives to all the seven churches. The first is like he enters in with the uh, feedback that he's given the churches and he says, this is who I am. And he presents a picture of himself in light of the church's need that he's speaking to. Um, it kind of makes sense. He's saying, this is my authority. This is my role that I have. This is why I'm offering you feedback. It's because I care for you and because I'm powerful. It's because I'm loving and I am um, powerful and mighty. I know all, I see all, I care for you. And so I'm speaking the truth. This is my role. And then he says, this is what I see. And he usually will hone in on something that is good, that is growing, that is helpful in the church community. And then he transitions into, um, this is your area where you can grow. That's the nice language Jesus often uses in, these, in this, the feedback that we'll read. This is what I hold against you. Let it never be said for anchor that Jesus holds something against us. And then he says, but this is the promise. This is the promise that if you persevere and continue in this particular direction, in this particular way, then you will experience this blessing in your life. So we're going to look into it, these, these three churches that we're looking at. The first is what I'm calling the church of lost love. The church of lost love. Chapter 2, verse 1 reads like this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Just a quick pause there. If you were with us last week, you know that the seven golden lampstands are symbolic references to these seven churches. So what's being communicated is Jesus is saying, I am right in the middle of the church. The seven golden lampstands are the churches, and where am I? I'm right in the middle of you. Jesus is right in the middle of his church. He's not far off. He's not away. He's not looking. He's not trying to like disassociate himself with the church. He's right in the middle of it. Concern, compassionate, move to action on its needs, based on its needs. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. But shift, yet I hold this against you. Remember, these are, this is Jesus speaking to the church that he's in the midst of, that he loves, that he's concerned with. So this is a kind voice offering real, honest feedback. This is what a friend does. 
right? A friend cares more about the friend than preserving the friendship. It leans in to offer the kind words that are constructive words. And Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent, which just means turn around, rethink, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. I will remove the light from your mantle and from its place. What does it mean to have forsaken the love you had at first? It's like, seems like something uh, that might make immediate sense, but like, I think we have to think a little bit more critically about it. Let me tell you this. This is what I first thought. When reading this, I first thought um, that to have forsaken the love you had at first meant that you had lost that emotional connection with God. And when I understood it like that, it was actually an indictment on my spiritual life. Let me tell you a little bit about my walk with Jesus. When I came to faith in Jesus, like it was like a light switch turned on on my life. Like all these things that I was trying to, you know, find answers in and trying to find meaning in, they were dead ends. It was drugs, it was relationships, it was whatever. And all of a sudden, when I came to faith in Jesus, all of a sudden things changed. It was like I understood the world correctly. And my love for Jesus, this emotional, visceral type of love was real. I remember calling my friends and and saying, hey, just so you know, I'm going to stop partying on the weekends. And I found myself like not getting calls from them, even if I volunteered to be the designated driver. And I, you know, and I was actually weirdly okay with that because I had found Jesus and Jesus had found me. And I was like in love and this was fantastic. And this went on for like a couple years where like this, like this real raw learning hunger for God that was like so new and beautiful and awesome. But it was interesting how a couple years into my walk with the Lord, this emotional, visceral connection with God started to shift. And I started stepping into a new stage in my relationship with Jesus. Things were changing in my life. I was newly married. I was working a job, no longer living with close friends. Uh, My wife happens to be a close friend, but no longer living in the college roommate dorm atmosphere. And, uh, And things were shifting in my life. There were just life shifts. And it was like almost like my spiritual life was shifting as well. I was like growing into different areas that I hadn't grown into, but it meant that there was this part of my life where there was this real heartbeat dancing in the aisles, Jesus, I love you sense that was like not quite there in the way that it had been for a while. And I read this verse and I felt like, oh my gosh, did I do something wrong? Or am I putting myself around the wrong people? Is there something wrong in my environment? And as I continued to study this verse, I came to find out that no, that's not what Jesus is referring to. You see, lots of times when we read a verse like this, we think, oh, I have to go to some past version of myself so that I can have that same emotional experience with God. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Let me just say, there are different seasons of your life that God will act differently with regard to you. I look, in fact, I look back at that early seasons of my life where I did have that emotional, raw, real relationship with God. And like, I was also legalistic, naive, like always late to things, disorganized, really didn't know much about the scriptures and didn't know much about leadership. 
And so while there was something beautiful that energized my relationship with God, I had lots of growth. Sometimes I believe this, God will actually retract the felt experience of himself from you so you stop worshiping the experience of God and start worshiping God. So trust, trust is cultivated. This is what faith is. We think if I've, I've done something wrong, if I don't have an emotional experience with God, no, sometimes God is saying, no, you've actually done something right. So I'm testing and I'm weaning you off of just an emotional high so you learn how to follow me when I'm not there like the way you want me to be there. I've encountered, in my years of being a pastor, I've encountered so many people that are ready to say, that's it, I'm done, because the plot has shifted in their life and God is operating in a different way. We need to be open to what God is doing. What Jesus is saying to the church about them leaving their, their forsaken, their first love, is not that the emotions have gone, so you have to try to drum up all the same emotions, but no, the word for love there is agape. And that Greek word agape is not the emotional high of new love, whether it's spiritual or romantic, but it's the action-oriented, sacrificial love of in-the-trenches relationships. So when Jesus says, you've left your first love, he's saying, you've stopped practicing sacrifice. You've stopped serving with, with, your, with your energy and your time. You've stopped counting the cost. You're on some type of spiritual autopilot. This is what it means to be in the church of lost love. So his word is repent and do the things you did at first. It's action-oriented because agape is an action-oriented type of love. Do the things you did at first. What were the practices and rhythms that sustained your faith before? Some of us need to just be reminded of, of like, what were those practices and rhythms? Not to recreate a past self. We can't go back into the past. The past doesn't exist anymore. We can only go forward into the future. But what are the practices and rhythms that once sustained your faith? Engage in those again. Again, not to recreate some past experience, but to provide the stability and the sustenance for a lifelong faith and discipleship to Jesus. I remember early in my Jesus life, uh, I had lots of people talking to me, asking me questions, and they, asked me, they would ask me like this question, uh, how's your walk with the Lord? And I, I'm this growth group with a, guy, a couple guys we meet on Friday morning at a terrible hour of the day. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was like, you know what? Early on in my life with Jesus, my discipleship to Jesus, a lot of people ask me this question, how is your walk with the Lord? And nobody really asks me that question anymore. Maybe because they think I'm perfect, I'm a pastor, which is totally, which is like a little true. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, so I'm like, would you just ask me that question? How's your walk with the Lord? And don't like be comfortable with cheap cliche answers. Like, I think that's one of the things, like, if I, was to, if I was to really look at, like, what would I ask, what would I invite you to if you're finding yourself having lost or moved away from that first love? Like, think about stuff like that. Was it, was it scripture? Like, how's your scripture reading? How is your prayer? How is your giving? Have you confessed sin to anyone recently? You know, like, what are the things that, like, what are the things you did at first? 
And the beautiful thing is, as Jesus goes on, he says he doesn't leave it with this stinging conviction. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He wants us to hear. He wants the church to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Now, if you don't know the scriptures that well, um, you're in a good place because that's what we try to teach here every Sunday. But in Genesis, you know, there's this tree of life that, that humanity is kept from because of sin. And so there's the kind of the scriptural idea is throughout um, all of our life, humanity aches for what we cannot access because of sin. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, if you just stay with me, if you just keep following me, if you keep practicing agape, then I actually will give you the right to eat from the thing that you hunger for and long for. I will give you what you really long for. You see, the person that wanders from their first love is trying to solve the problem of longing in something apart from what is the really longing for. And so Jesus is saying, if you stay in discipleship to me, I will give you what your heart longs for. Don't search after it for it there or there or there. You will always end up with a hangover, dehydrated, tired, in debt, burnt out. Stay with me and I will give you what your heart longs for. It is. So the next thing as we go forward is the confused church. The confused church, a church that is not understanding what is truth, what is right. And we read in chapter two, or chapter one, no, sorry, yeah, chapter two, verses 12, 13, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Jesus is revealing himself as the one whose words, they cut through truth and lies. They don't let truth and lies continue to exist in this kind of nice, kind of passive, I don't want to step on your toes environment. Jesus gets really close and says, that's a lie, stop believing it. Because Jesus is like a good friend, right? And a Lord. Um, I know where you live. Check this out. Where Satan has his throne. You know, has Jesus said that to you recently? Um, Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Good to know. Oh, I didn't know that he lived here. Thanks, Jesus. Um, What is being communicated here? Okay, in this city, the city of Pergamum, right outside the city, there was this thousand foot tall hill, okay? Visible everywhere. Think about in Tacoma, if there's like this thousand foot tall hill, we would be able to see it. It'd be like, you know, hard to avoid it, except for in November when it's constantly cloudy and we might just bump into it and not know it's there. Um, But, uh, so there's this huge hill, and on this hill were all these different temples, right? These temples to all these different gods. And like the highest temple was the temple uh, uh, to Asclepios, which was the god of healing, which was imaged with a snake, Okay? So if you're a, Jew, a person saturated in the Jewish scriptures, like the early church was, you know, worshiping a snake never really goes that well, you know? Um, and so the snake was the god of healing, and the idea was if you had a sickness, you would just go up to the temple, and fortunately the gods, or the priests to this uh, god of Asclepius had all these snakes in this temple, and so like if you were, if you needed healing, if you're sick, you just would let one of the snakes bite you, and then that would take care of that, totally healed. Um, didn't work that well. Pre-21st century medicine, right? We're trying to figure out how to do it. Um, Didn't get much better with the leeches later on, but uh, this was the idea. And then next to this temple, the second biggest temple, was the temple to Zeus, the savior. 
And so Jesus here is mindful of that this is the dominant, visible, religious, spiritual reality of this place where they live. A God that is, uh, that is worshipped through, through, uh, through getting bit by a snake is no God that has your best interest at heart. And Zeus is no savior that has the power to actually save. And so Jesus is saying, I know where you live. I know how difficult it is to keep your mind straight about thinking critically about what is true and what is a lie. I know I understand it. And so in verses 14 to 16, as as Jesus goes on to speak to his church, we see that he's critical of what's happened. There's this blending, the technical word is syncretism, this blending in of the religion that happens up there on the hill and the Jesus faith. There's this unconscious, maybe subtle blending in of those two things. And Jesus gets close with the word, with this, it's like his sword words. And he gets close. He says, don't blend what is mine and what is that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop it. Um, This is like a relevant word still, right? as we try to sometimes be so relevant to the world that we become irrelevant to Jesus. I, um, uh, you know, um, as, if you didn't know, it's been raining a lot lately. Um, this morning, maybe some of you looked outside and you're like, I don't know if I can make it to my car, you know? Um, looks like it's raining pretty hard. Uh, and um, if that's what you thought, no, no worries, you're safe. Um, but uh, so it's been raining and then every three days there's like really nice sun. So like that means everybody's grass is crazy. Um, and it's not gold yet, so we can still pretend like we're good at gardening um, and landscaping, I guess. But I made a commitment that this is going to be the year that I make it through to July without it turning totally yellow. I made this commitment. Um, and so I've been like mowing the lawn on the sunny days. You know, I've been, I brought the, the weed whacker out, which, uh, you know, admittedly doesn't come out as often as it should. I even got like weed and feed. I got weed and feed and I'm doing like the this thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't worry, the point's coming, the point's coming. And then I, so I I have a pretty nice lawn, except like every two days it just shoots up another foot because of the rain and the sun. I've got a pretty nice lawn and I'm trying to make it even better. Um, And then I looked at my neighbor and um, man, their weeds are about as high as the fence. Um, I literally think, you know, we could turn, we could make a profit. We could just take a little mower through there and create a little maze and like all the neighborhoods could pay 10 bucks and it's like a little corn maze, you know? Um, I think that we could monetize this. I don't know why they haven't asked me. Now, I love my neighbors, love my neighbors. Don't love their, their, um, the weeds in their backyard though. I don't love those because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to work hard at this landscaping thing that is obviously a little new to me and and uh, they're not helping me. Um, why do I say this? Because I was looking at their um, backyard recently. And I just had this thought that popped in my head. And I was, as I was like so frustrated, or not so frustrated, just like little like, oh my gosh, as much as I'm going to do, the weed's just going to keep blowing in, the seeds are going to keep blowing in. This thought, what seeds of wrong belief are just blowing into my mind without thinking about it? Yeah, yeah. By just existing where I exist. Leslie Newbegin, a writer and a missiologist that I admire, he, went, he was a missionary in India, and he found himself in India 
um, being trying to help people that are, are Hindu or Muslim understand the God who is love, and then uh, after serving there for a long time, went back to England and realized that, whoa, I have to be a missionary in my home country as well because there's just so much confusion that's just normative. What seeds of belief are just kind of th- being, kind of landing in your heart and landing in your mind just by existing where you exist in this particular time and place? And we just maybe are uncritically letting them land and start to bloom. I think that more than ever, we need to develop theologies around like almost everything. You know, like what is, you know, like you hear something about this and that sexuality. Well, let's develop a theology around that before we develop our opinions. Let's look into scripture. Let's develop a Jesus-centered approach to it before we just go drifting away with what is ever current right now. With regard to uh, money, let's develop a theology around it. Let's develop a, you know, let's, let's think critically about like what is like the religion that's up there and what's the religion that belongs here, right? Because lest Jesus hold something against us. Um, it goes on. There's a promise. The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Like, like with much in Revelation, we're like, what? White stone? Name on what's like, What's going on there? Um, here's this cool thing. In the first, second century, there's this practice where close friends um, that weren't living in close proximity would break a stone apart. On one part of the stone, one friend would write their name on it. On the other side of the stone, the other friend would write their name on it. Then they would switch, they would share, they would, they would switch the stones. So the one I had, using me in the example, would have the, the other friend's name on it. And so by holding it close to you, you would be reminded that you are this person's friend. Or romantically, maybe you are this person's lover, even though you're far away from each other. Okay? There's actually a historical record of like these twin stones being found like hundreds of miles away from each other in archaeological digs. It's kind of cool. So what Jesus is saying to this church, he goes, if you stay with me, if you stay with me and you don't blend what's up there and what's here, if you like think critically and love compassionately and root your convictions in my word, if you do this, you will have this token of, of, of who I am always with you. You see, more than anything, Jesus wants to curate and cultivate in this church a deep sense of identity, that they are disciples of Jesus and not disciples of whatever is currently cool, but disciples of Jesus and that that would be held close to their heart. And the promise is that, that their identity would be, that they would know that they are so loved by Jesus using this current or this contemporary example of the rock, the shared rock as a, as a picture of their relationship with Jesus. And it goes on, this last one. I called it the tired church when we had our slides developed, but I'm calling it today the superficial church. The superficial church. So you see tired church, think superficial church. Chapter three, verse one, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, 
wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. This church, like you look at it from a distance and it like looked really good. It's like, wow, whoever did your branding, pay them well, keep them on staff. They are amazing. It looks like great things are happening. You can like, from a distance, you see such beauty and such awesome stuff, but look closely and you're like, well, there's this gaping cavity where I thought there may have been life. My friend calls this the Instagram only church where there is this polish and prestige at a distance, but look closer and there is this just gaping cavity where the soul needs to be present. Man, can I be honest? We live in a moment where we have, we have spent so much time looking and thinking about how we can present ourselves to the watching world and we have lost track of how we can present ourselves to Jesus. We have lost sight of this. Not speaking to you, Anchor, but speaking generally as a, to a culture. We have valued great branding above real heart. I'm thinking of like, what would Jesus say is the most effective alive church? I'm thinking it's probably a Chinese house church that doesn't have an Instagram account because they're not legal. I'm thinking it's probably an Iranian church that meets underground, that is very secretive about where it meets, lest it be found out. But like, like Jesus sees that and he sees beautiful green life. Yeah. I'm thinking it's probably a church in Ukraine that's meeting with uncertainty about their future, but they know they need each other. So they're praying and with each other and they won't stop because what is, happens as they gather is what they need most throughout the rest of the week. I think Jesus would look at those churches and say, more than something that has a great campaign and is visible to the watching world through all the different channels and social media, I think that Jesus would look at those churches and say, that church is the church that's alive. That's the churches that I want to be a model for every other church. I was reading um, in my personal devotions through First and, and Second Kings, um, which is this, uh, a Jewish scholar I was, I was reading, <laughs> says First and Second Kings is a story of bad leadership over and over and over again. So I was like, oh, I don't want to be a bad leader. I'm going to read that. That's how it started. And so I'm reading about this king named Ahab. If you're familiar with the scriptures, maybe you've heard about him. He's a total bonehead and does a whole bunch of evil stuff. And at the end of his life, when he dies, the writer of Second Kings says, says, what else should we say about Ahab? I love this kind of like, if you know this, it's like, what else should we say about Ahab? And they're like, should we talk about how we built palaces out of ivory and fortified all the cities. And I was like, hold up. Y'all didn't say that earlier on. He built palaces out of ivory? That is dope. I wouldn't mind a palace out of ivory and fortified all the cities. I'm like, that's what you run re-election campaigns on. You're like, put that on a poster, put it all over the city, palaces out of ivories, fortified the cities, vote for me. You know, like that's the kind of thing that works, guys. And I had this moment where I'm like, I didn't know Ahab did that. And then it was like, almost like the spirit said to me, kind of like, yeah, look how much he did, Brian. Look how much he did. And look how little I care. Look how little I care. Look how disgusted I am with his great works in the, eye, in the, in the eyes of the world and how he has done evil in the eyes of me. Let's not let the church of outward appearance, of superficiality, win the day, even though it would win the day in our world. Yeah. Let me be honest, it, it's always revealed. When a church lives by superficiality, it always shows up. Yeah. 
It always shows up. Jesus to this church says, wake up, wake up. Pay attention to what is still strong. Feed it, nurture it, care for it, because that's the thing that you need to pay attention to. And then in verse three, remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at time, the time I will come. Jesus' feedback to the uh, three of these seven churches, like kind of fierce, kind of fierce. Do you have a friend like Jesus that will come up close to you and be like, that's a lie, don't believe that, here's the truth. You know, do you have a friend like that? Hopefully one that does it with kindness as well. I've been thinking, um, I've been thinking about like what, like it's hard not to as a leader, like what would Jesus say to anchor? How would he reveal himself? Would he say, I'm, I'm, I've got like a sword out of my mouth? Or would he say, I've got fire in my, what would he say to anchor? What would he, how would he reveal himself? What would he, what would he see in us? Would he say, hey, I see this in you. I see you growing. I see you thriving. I see the plans that, that, I have, that you have. Like I'm, in, I'm excited about it. What would he say? Would he say? What would he hold against us? Would he hold anything against us? Just let that sit. What would he hold against us? Let us not be unwilling to hear if he has something to say. And what would be the promise if you continue in this way where you're trying to be nuanced and thoughtful and serve the city and love me and share the gospel and be nuanced and teach? And, and what, 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 would, what would be the promise? What would happen? What would he say to us? I think it's a worthwhile prayer exercise. These are the words to the churches, though. And here's the thing is that they're the words also to us. So pay attention if you felt named in any of this today. Pay attention to what Jesus might be wanting to say to you. Here's the reason. Because when it comes to feedback, and the band can come up and communion can come up at this point. When it comes to feedback, hear this. When it comes to feedback, in the business realm, it's about performance and profits. I need to give you feedback in these areas because the performance and profit, and it makes sense. But when it comes to Jesus's feedback, it's about his kingdom, eternity, and our very lives. Let us be people that hunger for his feedback. Let us people that be people that crave it, that want it. We have this really cool thing that we're doing each week during this uh, future people teaching series. Um, we're inviting somebody whose uh, primary language isn't English to come up and to read a prayer, or pray a prayer over us. Um, we did this last week with our friend Noor, um, who prayed over us in Arabic. How beautiful was that? Um, so I want to invite my friend Holly, who's going to be praying over us in Korean today. Holly, would you come up? Let's, could we welcome her up? It is doubly special today because not only um, is this refrain in Revelation where it says every tribe and tongue, uh, you know, and, and around one king, right? This is the future. So we get a glimpse of the future when Holly will be praying over us in Korean. This is what heaven will look like. All different ethnos, all different languages around one king. But it's doubly cool today, as I mentioned, because it's Pentecost where Pentecost began with all these languages erupting out as the Spirit gave people utterance so that everyone could hear about the wonders of God in their language and no one would be left out. And so this is kind of doubly cool. So this is, uh, this is something we're reading, but make no mistake, it's still a prayer, okay? 
A red prayer is still a prayer. So I'm going to be reading it in English, and Holly will be reading it in Korean. But before we get there, Holly, could you just share us a little bit? Most of us did not grow up um, speaking Korean as a first language. Um, you know, so just tell us about your Jesus story and about growing up in Korea. Oh, I came to America after high school uh, to go to college. And until then, I lived in a very um, it's secular and uh, humanistic family and a non-religious family uh, and uh, in a very conforming um, and uh, competitive society. As a teenager, I think I suffered the uh, deep depression, uh, but I was uh, uh, given a, a living Bible, uh, the English translation of a living Bible uh, from a friend and who had a, it, it was a paperback one. I don't think I would have read, started reading it um, if I wasn't coming to America to study, uh, to learn English. I, I did start reading this English Bible, but also it, it was a paperback and didn't look like uh, the Bible or the religious book. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> and with a bunch of uh, American teenagers' uh, pictures on it. It Classic. was just a New Testament. And I started reading the Bible and uh, sort of like a Pentecost. Uh, uh, I met Jesus yeah. uh, through uh, through a foreign language yeah. uh, Bible, and uh, Jesus revealed the Holy Spirit revealed Jesus to me um, as I was reading, uh, just like a novel or just a history book. I I came to a point that I was confronted with this this decision making that I either had to take this Jesus person. Um, as the Lord of my life or, or just uh, think this is a fiction and just move on. So I said a, a little prayer to him. Uh, I said, Jesus, if you really are the person that the, you say you are in the Bible and there is no other way that I can come to a saving grace or the life, uh, then let me believe. And I don't even know when I became a Christian exactly, when and where and how, but he came into my heart yeah. and um, he has saved me yeah. and healed me from depression. He has walked with me faithfully for the last 50 years and uh, still saving and still healing. Yes. Yes. Uh, praise be to God. And uh, just one more praise. And uh, as a testimony, my family that was so secular and who believed in goodness of themselves, they all came to know the Lord wow. as the Lord, uh, the Bible promised that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you and your household will be saved. So I praise the Lord yeah. for that promise to have been fulfilled in my family. Praise be to God. Yeah. Amen. So Holly, you'll be reading in Korean. I'll okay. be reading in English. Mm -hmm. I'll start in okay. English and then you can read in Korean. So I invite you to treat this as a pray prayer. It's on the screen if you want to read it. But just you might also close your eyes, take a breath, and just let this be something that we're praying over us as a community. God, for those of us that have lost our way and love for you, fan afresh into flames our passion for you. 하나님, 저희들 중에 누군가 당신을 향한 사랑을 잃고 길을 잃고 헤매고 있다면 
저희들 안에 주님을 향한 열정의 불꽃을 새롭게 불어넣어 주시기를 기도합니다. God, for those of us experiencing affliction, give us strength to endure. 하나님, 저희들 중에 큰 시련과 어려움을 지나는 사람이 있다면 잘 인내하고 이겨낼 수 있도록 주님의 힘과 능력을 주십시오. For those of us confused or deceived, keep the enemy's lies from our mind and heart. We ask for clarity and truth. 혹시 저희가 혼란 중에 있거나 미혹당하고 있다면 우리 영의 적이 속삭이는 거짓들로부터 저희들의 생각과 마음을 보호해 주시고 주님의 명료하신가 진리로 인도하시길 기도합니다. To the fatigued and weary, we ask for deep rest that comes from knowing your finished work. 약해져 있고 삶에 지친 자들에게는 주님께서 이미 다 이루다 이루셨다 하심을 믿고 얻을 수 있는 깊은 안식을 체험할 수 있게 해주세요. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is reigning and at the right hand or right in the middle of His church. 이 모든 것을 몸된 교회의 중심이 되시고 통치자 되시는 예수님 이름으로 기도했습니다. 아멘. Thank you, Holly. We're going to sing one more song, and there's communion. And communion is a time for us to be reminded that the center of God's heart there is love. That He doesn't offer words of feedback without the heart of love directed towards us. His body given for us at the bread, His blood shed for us with the cup, so that we might know, just even through our taste buds and our our senses, that God's love is aimed at you. If you are new to this message, then you are welcome to receive it. That Jesus has paid the price for you to be reconciled to a holy God. You are here. The invitation is given to you right now. You might take communion. Maybe it's your first time as a Jesus follower today. And there's prayer stations available. If you have a prayer need, don't leave this place without getting prayed for. There's opportunities for you to get prayer, to communion, and to sing, and to be realigned with the God who invites us to love him and to follow him.